That was an amazing trip, and for many of us, that kicked off our Christmas season. Um, but you may be like me, we're not finished with Christmas yet. I've still got family coming into town, so we're still in the Christmas season. But here we are, December 27th, 2020, um, about to usher in a new year. And for many of us, uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, for a lot of, most everybody, 2020 has been um, an interesting year, to say the least. It's been full of challenges and um, it's even kind of become sort of a joke, right? Something weird happens, something strange or, or difficult. Year, well, it's 2020. You just kind of play it off as it's normal for this year. Um, but the reality is, um, for some folks, 2020 has not really been that bad. Their business has never been better. For a lot of people, especially if you're in the mask industry, you're doing pretty good this year. I mean, it's just a weird reality. Um, and another thing is, other people have gone through greater challenges in previous years. Uh, they've dealt with difficulties or loss of loved ones or you name it. Um, while this year has definitely been full of challenges, full of difficulties, um, we're all feeling that COVID fatigue. Um, you know, it's just part of the reality that we live in. All of life is hard. Um, our world is broken. As a matter of fact, because of the effect of sin, our world is broken. There's good in this world and there's bad in this world. Um, and unfortunately, we, if you live long enough, you're going to face some challenges. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to come to a point where things don't go exactly the way you want them to go. And, and we need to prepare for that. As parents, we teach our children. Sometimes hard times come. You don't always get a trophy. Well, at least you're not supposed to always get a trophy. Sometimes you lose in life. Sometimes you face challenges. And we raise our kids with that being prepared for those times. Personally, you and your family, you may plan for for difficult times, for those rainy days. You may even set aside some funds for that rainy day fund, right? It's, it's not a sunshine and rainbow fund. It's a rainy day. It's a difficult time. It's a, a challenge for us. And so we prepare for that. Many of your vocations, your job, literally you've been trained and you've prepared for emergencies. And so now you're sitting and waiting for the next challenge to come. And that's what your job is. And so it's just a reality that part of how we, what we face in our world that we live in. And then you take the Christian perspective. Then you take on the reality for Christians that on top of just an already difficult place to live, there's persecution. There's attacks from the enemy. Um, now I know what you're thinking. Man, I can go back, get in bed, and pull the covers over my head because this is, you know, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer today. I'm just trying to point us to the reality that we all know, we all experience from time to time. We can deal with it. We can recognize it. We can prepare for it. Or we can... You know, deny it, bury our head in the sand, so to speak, and, and, and live in denial. But the reality is, life is hard. Life is full of challenges. But also, God's Word speaks to that. We, as believers in Christ, need to know what does God's Word say? And what does that mean for our life? How are we to live in the midst of difficulties and challenges? And so that's where I want us to go today. Not... We want to deal in reality, but we don't want to dwell on those things. You know, we don't want to dwell on the bad things to come. In fact, don't do that. You drive yourself crazy sitting around going, what's the next thing that's going to happen in my life? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we need to be prepared. And as Christians, we need to know and know what God's Word says and let us walk through those challenges in view of God's Word. Now, most every New Testament book um, in the Bible speaks to difficulties or persecutions or how we face challenges and what, the, what that looks like in the life of a believer. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of Paul's letters. The Apostle Paul wrote 
Uh, in fact, most of the New Testament is really letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches or to individuals. And in those letters, he shares great doctrines, things that we should learn, things that we should uh, learn about God and, and each other and the church. And also with those great doctrine, there's great application. What are the, how do we take these truths and apply it to our life? And what does that look like in the life of a believer? And so this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you, encourage you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, before we dive into our main text this morning, I want to look at a few, couple verses. In the first chapter, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be aware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. I want you to be aware of this affliction. He goes on, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul just wasn't having a bad day. He was going through some major things. He goes on, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, for some, you know, this year has felt like a sentence of death. And unfortunately, for some, we've lost loved ones. And we've known and we've seen stories of people's lives that were greatly impacted, whether it was from a virus or storms or you name it. This year has had it. And Paul was dealing with some of those same kind of things. Notice what he says next. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul was saying here, basically, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be aware. I want you to understand this reality that we live in. But that reality serves a purpose. Those challenges, those great difficulties serve a purpose in our life. And that's to cause us to fully rely on God. And Paul goes on in that letter and he brings us to the gospel, as he often does in his letters and his texts. He brings us to the gospel. In chapter 4, we see um, Paul kind of gives a result. Because of the gospel now, we believers can stand on truth. We can live by God's power. And we can live with great hope. There's power in the gospel. Yes, we're saved, but then it also causes us to, to have something for this life now. And so this brings us to our text today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 11 through 21. That's what we're going to look at this morning. In this text, Paul describes the life of a believer. He uses the word ministry of a believer. Now notice the first word there in, in verse 11. It says, therefore. Therefore. In other words, looking back to what he just said. Don't be ignorant. Reality is life is hard. There's great difficulty. And he brings us to the gospel. But because of the gospel... We, have the, we live in the power of God. We stand on truth. We live with great hope. He says, now, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's our greatest pur greater purpose that we have. Because of Christ, now we have a greater purpose. Yeah, there's difficulties. There's challenges. But because of the gospel now, because of the fear of the Lord, we have a great purpose. And so that's our text. That's the beginning of our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to, this morning, we're going to look at five contrasts. Five contrasts. We're going to look at the believer in contrast to the world and what this text has for us. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin to dive into your word this morning, Father, I pray that you, the power of the Holy Spirit, would um, illumine the truth in our life, Father, that you would show us, God, in this reality that we find ourselves living in this world, Father, I pray that we would take the truth of your word we would apply it to our life, and that we would line our life up with your will. 
Lord, speak through me now. Lord, allow me to be the conduit of truth for those that are hearing this morning. And Lord, let your word impact all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Let's read the whole text, and then we'll come back and unpack it. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But, we are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our first contrast we're going to see this morning, for believers, for those of us that have been saved, it's a heart matter. Now in contrast to that, the world looks at the outward appearance. So for believers, it's a matter of the heart, and for the world, it's a matter of the outward appearance. One of the best biblical examples of this is um, in the story where um, God was going to choose the next king for Israel. And so he told the, the prophet Samuel in chapter 16, 1 Samuel, to go into the house of Jesse. And Jesse had a lot of sons. And from those sons, he would pick the next king of Israel. And so Samuel did that. He went to Jesse, and Jesse brought his sons before Samuel. And one by one, Samuel went to these strapping young men, men that you would by appearance look and say, that's a leader. He's my king. But yet every time Samuel came before one, God said, nope, that's not him. That's not him. One by one, Samuel went down the line, and until there was no more present. And Samuel asked Jesse, is this all of your sons? And Jesse said, well, there's one more, the youngest one. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel said, bring him to me. And sure enough, this was God's chosen man. And in verse 7 of chapter 16 in 1 Samuel, God told Samuel this. He said, for the Lord, Yahweh, sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. You see, the world, man, is all about the outward appearance. But to truly follow Christ, it comes down to a matter of your heart. You may have the outward appearance all put together. You may look the part, but the Lord truly knows your heart. You desire Him above all else. 
Have you fully surrendered your heart, which means your entire life, what you desire, what you long for, what you go after, what you seek on a daily basis? Do you desire him? Have you fully surrendered to his plans for your life? This is the first thing we see in our text in the life of a believer that it really comes down to a matter of the heart. Truly being a follower of Jesus is a matter of your heart, not the outward appearance. Number two, our second contrast. We, believers, are controlled by the love of Christ. In contrast to that, the world is controlled by a love of self. Look back at verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who, who for their sake died and was raised. So we notice there it says the love of Christ controls us. So is this talking about Christ's love for us, like the love of Christ, his love for us, or is it our love for him? I believe it's both. Notice what our text says. It says, um, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. We have come to understand in our thinking, we've come to understand what Christ has done for us. And what did he do? Well, like Adam said just a minute ago, for God so loved the world. Right? He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So out of his love for us, we love him. And so it's both our love for Christ because he first loved us. Now it has this idea of, it says controls us. It controls us. This love of Christ controls us. Now you know, you, you know about, we're not robots, right? Or even like, for, like RC cars have switches, right? I, I may or may not have gotten an RC car for Christmas, um, but I did. And I, I'm a big kid at heart. And I love it. It's fun because you get to control this car, right? And you get to chase the dog or do whatever you want to with this car because you control it. But that's not the same kind of control that we're talking about or looking at here. This idea that the love of Christ controls us, it's really that we desire to please him. We want to control self, that sin nature, that we have in our life. We, when we become a follower of Christ, you know, God doesn't get to control and all of a sudden we begin to move like a robot and do exactly what he wants us to do. No, we still have free will. We still get to choose what we do with our life. We, but as for a true follower of Christ, we desire to ultimately um, worship him with our lifestyle. We want to please him in all that we do. And one of the amazing things about the gospel, about being saved, is that in that moment of salvation, Almighty God begins to indwell you through his spirit. He puts his spirit in you. And, and the book of John tells us that that Holy Spirit leads us in truth, and it brings conviction. It brings guidance and instruction in our life. So God comes into our life and helps us fight off that sin nature, fight off that tendency to do what pleases self, and instead we live, and because of the love of Christ, it controls us. We live in a way that pleases him. This is the mark of a true believer, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Another one of Paul's letters in Galatians chapter 5, he gives us um, the, uh, let me look over, flip over there real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, again, that's the miracle of, of the gospel. Pastor Joel talked about this a few weeks ago when he was look, preaching through Romans 8. We are no longer obligated to 
flesh to self. Now we've been set free. We're free in Christ. Not to do what we want to do. Again, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Paul, in the same book of Galatians, he, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. You see, apart from Christ, we produce the fruit of the flesh. Will's fruit is, is, is anger, is jealousy. It's, it's all these nasty things that come along with the sin nature. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Self-control. Because I allow the Spirit to live in me, that produces fruit in my life that's pleasing to the Lord. And one of those fruit is self-control. Not controlling us like robots, but allowing us to live out the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in our life. We are controlled by the love of Christ. The world is controlled by the love of self. Next contrast, number three. We have an eternal spiritual perspective, whereas the world looks at the flesh, the here and now. Look at verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We now, believers, have an eternal spiritual perspective, how we view the world. Now, to really understand the, etern- uh, the eternal aspect of our perspective, we need to go back to the very first part of chapter 5. Um, let's look at verse 1. It says, for we know... That if the tent, that is our earthly home, he's talking about the body, the flesh that we have, our bodies. Um, that if the tent that is, of, is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The longer I'm in this tent, the more time I spend in this this body, I come to understand this truth more and more. The more I groan. Uh, and, and the reality is all of creation is impacted by the effect of sin. And, and you can look at your own body, right? Our tent begins to break down. Our tent um, loses a little bit of the top. Uh, the tent begins to have holes in it. And because of how we misuse our tent throughout our lifetime, our tent, we feel the effects of sin. We know this truth. And we groan. Because of the effects. And, and all of creation groans. All, we can look around all of creation and we see the brokenness in our world. He goes on. Verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Remember, life is hard. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal... Maybe swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so what Paul's saying is, while we're in this tent, while we're in this flesh, we're going to feel the effects of sin. We're going to be burdened. But then in verse 6, he begins to talk about, speak to the perspective, the, this eternal perspective that we have. For those that are in Christ now, have this eternal perspective. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So Paul is speaking here to the, the physical presence that we have. The reality is that we live in the here and now. 
But for the believer, our perspective is different. For the world, it's, it's right here. It's right now. You better get it while you can. But for the believer, all this is going away. We have an eternity with Christ. We have an eternal dwelling. We have a spiritual purpose now in living our lives. So believers should always have this eternal spiritual perspective. Now, this doesn't mean we, we check out and we sit back and we wait to die or for Jesus to come back. And No, we do live in the here and now. We live in the flesh. We have lives to live. Um, and so it, but it doesn't mean that, that all of life is terrible either, right? There are some things in this world that are enjoyable. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting at home um, and we actually sat down, we have, just this year, we've built a new home, and it's a blessing, and uh, we were having dinner together. Everybody's around the table, and, and our living room kind of opens up to the kitchen and dining area, and so I had a fire going in the fireplace. We had decorated the Christmas tree, and so I was sitting there and noticed, man, this is a, this is a cool scene right here. And, and I can honestly say I've never watched a Hallmark movie in my life, but if I had, I imagine this was probably a scene from a Hallmark movie, right? The, the dog's laying there by the fire. It's all just perfect. In, in, in all reality, I, I begin to kind of acknowledge, man, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings that we have, this nice meal and this nice home, and, and it's comfortable. But at the same moment, an overwhelming uh, sense came over me that I'm truly blessed, but not because of these things. And we began to talk about that as a family around the table and began to realize and, and began to share that, you know, these are all great things that we should enjoy. It's not a sin to enjoy the blessings. James tells us that all good things come from above. And God has given us many great things. Hopefully this Christmas season you're getting to enjoy some of these things that God has given us to enjoy. But we began to talk and I said, you know, the reality is, guys, that if all this stuff went away, we're still truly blessed. If all these things that we are enjoying now cease to exist, and ultimately they will we're still truly blessed because we have the greatest blessing of all, and that's God himself. Because of the cross, we can enjoy these things for what they truly are. But now that we have an eternal spiritual perspective, we view them differently. We, as an act of worship, we thank God for them. We can enjoy the life that God has given us. And as believers, we should strive to keep this right eternal spiritual perspective. This is what we talk about when we talk about drinking orange juice for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Enjoy the things of this life. Enjoy family. Enjoy presence. Enjoy um, all the things that this world can bring you, but do it in a way that pleases the Lord. We hold on to these things, but we don't hold on to them so tightly that we hold on to them for that eternal spiritual perspective. God, these are great things from you, but they're yours. So I thank you for them. And if they cease to exist, God, I'm truly blessed because I have you. That's the perspective that we have versus the world's perspective. And a lot of people lose hope when these things go away. And that's what we've seen this, this year. Unfortunately, a lot of times jobs are lost and, and people, family members are lost. And, and if we put all of our hope in these things of this world and they go away, then our hope is lost. But for the believer, because of the gospel, we can enjoy these things but hold on to them in a way that pleases the Lord with that eternal spiritual perspective. Our fourth contrast that we see. In Christ, we are a new creation. Well, in contrast to, to that is our world that is not in Christ. It's broken. 
it's not a new creation. So the believer is in Christ. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Since sin entered the world through Adam, every human being that has been born since then has been born with a sin nature. All of humanity is broken because of that sin nature. All of creation feels the impact of sin. We see there in Genesis, as God begins to lay out the consequences of sin, it's not pleasant. It's difficult. It's hard. It's broken. Every person since Adam, born with a sin nature. And because of that, they are forever separated from God. They are deserving punishment. They deserve to face the wrath of God. That's just the reality. This uh, past week or so, I got to have an opportunity to have lunch with a friend of mine, um, this particular friend. He's a, a fairly new believer, a young believer, and has a lot of great questions to ask. And so over our lunch conversation, um, he asked a question, which I thought is a great question. He said, is it fair that if someone who has never heard of Jesus, let's say they grew up in a, a Muslim home or a Hindu home or a home that doesn't even preach anything, and, and they live their whole life and they never hear about Jesus, is it fair that God would send them to hell? Perhaps you've asked that same question or heard someone ask that, and, and I told him, that's a great question. I said, but let me back up a little bit and, and let's talk about what's fair. I said, because the answer to your question is, no, it's not fair. But I'm thankful God is not fair. I said, because, you see, the reality is, if I got what is fair, what I deserve, I would get hell. And that's true for all of us. If we got what was fair, we would get hell. We would get eternally separated from God. Because that's what we deserve. That's what is fair. I said, what is not fair is that God would send his son to take my place. To take my punishment on the cross. That's not fair. But yet, he did that. He took my place and gave me his righteousness. And so I'm thankful that God is not fair in that judgment. I'm thankful that because of Christ now, that curse has been lifted off of me. I am a new creation. I've been made new because of the cross. Um, I now can live in God's grace, not God's wrath. Um, he took that sin, he took that punishment, and gave me his righteousness. It's not fair, and I'm thankful it's not fair. I'm thankful that God loves us, and that we are a new creation now. That those of us that are in Christ, we are a new creation. That's the picture of baptism that we see, right? All of us are dead in our sins. We're buried. We're dead. We can't do anything to save ourselves, but yet God stepped in and raised us up, snatched us out of the grave, and raised us up to walk now a new life in him. A life that we see laid out in scripture. And a life that pleases the Lord. This is a new creation. The old is gone. Thank the Lord we don't live in that old, broken, sinful state. We are now redeemed. We're reconciled with God. We are a new creation. Number five, the fifth contrast that we see in our text. That we, believers are ambassadors for Christ. In contrast to that, the world is ambassadors for anything that's anti-Christ, sin, the flesh, Satan's plan. Everything in our culture, not just in, in the United States, but globally, we see everything is working against God's plan. The family, 
God designed it a certain way, and everything in our culture is working to disrupt that, that plan. God's design is, is, is for a reason, and Satan is working to, to blow up God's plan. Marriages, God has a certain way he wants to see that happen, and our culture says otherwise. Life itself, how we define life, how we live life, how we end life, God has a plan for that, and everything in our culture is working against that. I mean, look around us. Satan is doing everything he can to disrupt every aspect of God's plan, to cause division. I mean, for crying out loud, Satan can take a virus and use it to cause division in our world, cause division in churches. Satan is ruthless in his attacks. He can use anything. But we, believers, are to be ambassadors for Christ. We look back at verse 11, the very first verse we looked at. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. This, this idea of being an ambassador, verse 20, says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Think about that for a moment. God's plan for salvation, God's plan for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is through us. We're called to persuade others, to encourage them. The word ambassador literally means to be a representative or a promoter. Someone who stands with a purpose, stands with a cause and says, hey, look at this, listen to this. That's our role for those of us that are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, remember it's a heart matter, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, the world doesn't have a problem getting its message across. It's loud, it's in your face, it's all over the place. The world is very good at getting its message out. But we have to be equally determined. We have to stand boldly for Christ, but we do it in a different way. We do it, we deliver the message of the gospel in a way that honors the Lord with gentleness and respect. But we do it, we give reason. Be prepared, Peter said, be prepared. In other words, you have to think it through. Be prepared. Know what God's word says. Prepare yourself for that time. Just like you prepare yourself for life's challenges. Be prepared to be an ambassador for Christ. To give a reason. To use thought. To use logic. You don't have to say, well, I just hope it's going to work out. No, you can think it through. You can see evidence in the world around us. Apologetics. Be ready to give a reason. To defend the faith. That's what we're called to do. There are moments when boldness is required. We're required to stand in opposition to the gospel. Remember, Satan is ruthless in his attacks. He wants to do everything he can to disrupt God's plan for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so there's boldness. There's moments where we have to defend the faith. There may even be moments when we gather in large groups and march or protest to send a loud, unified voice. But we do it differently than the world. We should always do it in a way that pleases the Lord. Drawing attention to the message, not the messenger. We must already always be ready, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. That stands in stark contrast to the world. The world walks around hopeless. We walk around with that eternal spiritual perspective of hope, hope in Christ. 
you must know why you believe what you believe. Paul's talking about you must be ready to give a reason. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you profess to be a follower of Christ today? Well, it's because I've always been taught that. Great. Why do you believe it to be true? Well, the Bible says so. Okay, well, what if I don't believe in the Bible? Why do you believe what you believe? You have to own your faith. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it, why you are willing to lay down your life, why you're willing to follow this Jesus person, why you're willing to be an ambassador for Christ. You have to own your faith. Know what God's word says and be ready to defend that. Be ready whenever you're called upon. That is our purpose. That is our greater cause in this life. Yes, we can enjoy the things the, the simple things of life. We can enjoy the day-to-day, but keep that eternal perspective, being ready to be an ambassador for him. And at the end of this text, Paul once again reminds the believers why we have this contrast in our lives, why um, we're called to be ambassadors, what our message ought to be. Let's look in closing at verse 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God doesn't need us, but for our sake, he didn't give us what was fair, what we were due. For our sake, God poured out his grace, his mercy, his love, on us and poured out his wrath on Christ. For our sake, Jesus took our sin, took our punishment, he took our death so that we might become righteous, we might become reconciled with God. This is the gospel. This is our hope. And this is our purpose. Let's pray. Father, Lord, first of all, God, we want to thank you. We want to praise you that you loved us. While we were still sinners, you loved us. You gave us your son so that we might be saved. You did not give us what we deserve, but instead, God, by your grace and through faith, we might be saved and made right with you. God, we thank you for that miracle. We thank you for that love that you've given us, God that hope that we can have in Christ and the hope of the gospel. Lord, forgive us when we lose sight of the gospel in, in our lives, in, in our day-to-day. When our focus becomes consumed with things of this world and, and we lose that eternal spiritual perspective, God, and, and we don't think on our eternal home with you. Lord, help us to recognize that. And Lord, we repent of that wrong thinking. Lord, we ask that that you would help us to keep that eternal spiritual perspective um, that we have because of our relationship of, of in, in Christ and the Spirit in us. Lord, we ask that, that you give us the boldness to faithfully um, persevere through difficult days. While we're seeing 2020 come to an end, but Lord, 2021 is right around the corner, and it's just going to be like every other year that's ever been. God, it's going to be full of difficulties and challenges, and, but yet we have hope in you. So give us the faith to face this life and faith um, to faithfully serve you, faithfully stand in boldness as 
may require for your glory. Lord, help us to daily yield our lives to your life, to your will. Let us set aside the sins that, that trip us up, that easily entangle us, Father, and that easily distract us from living out um, the great purpose that you have given us, Father, and the great reason that we have hope. That reason is Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Grace Life, and all of you that joined us this morning. We want to uh, wish you a happy new year. God bless you.